You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, welcoming you to the August 2022 edition of Editor's Picks. I want to thank you for having taken the time to listen to this podcast. As usual, we begin with an interview, and this month it is with Ms. Kathleen Carluzzo, who will be reviewing the major findings of the paper entitled Patient Empowerment Among Adults with Arthritis, The Case for Emotional Support. She is the first author of this paper. Um, so this study really provides a comprehensive look at who in this population has lower versus higher empowerment. And we saw that lower empowerment uh, was seen among those who were male, older, less educated, and who had lower income, and also those with osteoarthritis, less emotional support, or better physical function. And while all those factors were significant, most of them had a fairly small effect on empowerment. And so through hierarchical regression modeling, we were able to look at um, you know, what the effect of each of those was. And we found that for both types of empowerment, those um, the patient information seeking and uh, healthcare interaction results, um, that emotional support was really the most important factor in among those that we measured. And emotional support, it's worth noting, uh, was measured using the PROMISE emotional support short form. And that measure assesses the extent to which people feel that they have someone to talk to, to confide, confide in, and someone who appreciates them. And so again, we're seeing that people who had this kind of emotional support reported feeling more empowered with both information seeking behavior and the healthcare interaction results in terms of getting their questions answered and getting the help that they needed. Um, you mentioned age, and I don't know how you broke that down. One of the things certainly that I look at all the time now and strikes me as being a pediatric pathologist now studying young adults, did you notice as you got younger, you mentioned older people, um, that there was a change? Did, did, so the people like say under 25 or was your cohort really too small to dissect it down to that love granularity? Sure. Um, so we actually saw a curvilinear relationship with age um, and uh, so which we adjusted for. Um, but in the end, it really was not a particularly strong, um, uh, did not have a particularly strong signal, um, but it was, it was slightly lower among older folks. Okay. I hope you enjoyed listening to Ms. Carluzzo's review of the findings of the paper entitled Patient Empowerment Among Adults with Arthritis, The Case for Emotional Support. And I hope you will listen to the complete interview I have made with, with multiple authors of this paper and read the full-length article, which is available at our website at www.jroom.org. The next paper I'd like to bring your attention to Two, examines the potential role of PET-CT scanning in patients with early rheumatoid arthritis, and it is entitled Whole Body Macrophage Positron Emission Tomography Imaging for Disease Activity Assessment in Early Rheumatoid Arthritis, and is by 
Breveja and colleagues. The aim of this study was to examine if the potential of whole body positron emission tomography CT or PET-CT with a macrophage tracer to image arthritis in patients with early RA. The investigators examined 35 clinically active untreated patients with early RA. All patients had at least two swollen joints with a mean DAS 44 score of 3.2. All but one of the patients had evidence of joint activity on PET-CT, although remember, all patients had clinically active arthritis. The mean range of joints involved was 1 to 18. Initially, they examined visual PET signal, and they found there was a weak correlation with clinical findings, both at a patient and a joint level. However, when the data was quantified using software and a standardized uptake value, they found that this standardized uptake value enhanced feet in the whole body was significantly correlated with DAS44 scores. The best correlation was found in the feet. When you read this paper, you will learn of the potential for this technique to objectively quantitate joint involvement in RA. You will also learn of the problems with the technique. And interestingly, you will be able to see characteristic images of the tracer uptake in the hands and feet. Sekukinumab, a human monoclonal anti-IL-17 antibody, has been shown to be safe and efficacious for the treatment of psoriatic arthritis. In a paper entitled Sekukinumab in the United States, Biologically Naive Patients with Psoriatic Arthritis, results from the randomized placebo-controlled choice study, Guyan and colleagues examined the efficacy and safety in 258 biologically naive patients with psoriatic arthritis. They found that at week 16, which was the major outcome point, ACR response was higher in this secukinumab than placebo at 51.5% versus 23.1%. Similarly, ACR 50 rates at 80 at 28.2 percent versus 5.8 percent and ACR 70 rates at 17.5 percent versus 1.9 percent were superior in the the secukinumab group. Secukinumab patients also had significantly greater improvement in their psoriasis and had higher PASI 75, 90, and 100 responses than placebo-treated patients. Improvements in the secukinumab group was irregardless of the dose of methotrexate. The reported AEs were similar between the groups. This paper adds to the literature on the safety and efficacy of secukinumab 
in now in cohorts from throughout the world and shows that it can be safely and effectively used as a first-line biologic agent. The next paper to highlight examined the important issue of appearance changes in people with systemic sclerosis. In a paper entitled Patient Acceptable Symptom State for Burden from Appearance Changes in People with Systemic Sclerosis, a cross-sectional survey, Relling colleagues examined this concept. The outcome measure was what is called the Patient Acceptable Symptom State, or PASS. That's capital P, capital A, capital S, capital S. This examines the burden of appearance changes in systemic sclerosis and has been defined as the highest level of symptoms below which a patient would consider his or her symptoms as acceptable. So however they rate it, it is below that number that they feel their symptoms are acceptable. They studied 82 patients enrolled throughout France, with the majority of patients as predicted at female at 90%, and 40% had diffuse cutaneous systemic sclerosis, with a median disease duration of 9.6 years and a mean modified Rodman skin score of 8.5. The past estimated burden for appearance change was 4.8 on a 10-point scale. The authors in the discussion outlined the practical use of the scale to measure this important patient-reported outcome when assessing treatments in patients with systemic sclerosis. I certainly found that after reading this paper, I did gain insights into this important outcome for patients with systemic sclerosis. It is well known that the use of anti-TNF agents can paradoxically be associated with the new onset of psoriasis or worsening of pre-existing psoriasis. In the final paper to highlight, Baggett and colleagues investigated this important issue title of the paper is Incidence Rates of Psoriasis in Children with Inflammatory Bowel Disease and Juvenile Arthritis Treated with Tumor Necrosis Factor Inhibitors and Disease-Modifying Anti-Rheumatic Drugs. The specific aim of the study was to estimate the effect of different anti-TNF agents with or without the use of concomitant conventional DMARD or CDMARD they examined 5,088 children with inflammatory bowel disease, JAA, and chronic nonbacterial osteomyelitis for the incidence of new onset psoriasis. 75% had IBD, 23% had JAA, and 2% chronic nonbacterial osteomyelitis. The majority of the cohort was not on anti-TNF agents at 60% or 3,065 patients, while 40% or 2,023 
three patients had exposure to an anti-TNF agent. Of the anti-TNF exposed patients, 613 received concomitant CDMARD, while 1,410 received TNF agent only without a CDMARD. They've, the authors found that when they examined the individual anti-TNF agents, they found that a relative risk for exposure uh, of anti-TNF agents to adalimumab resulted in a 2.63 increase of psoriasis as compared to what was predicted for infliximab, it was 2.34, and for etanercept, 2.24. Interestingly, they found that the addition of a CDMARD was significantly associated with a decrease in relative incidence risk at 0.25 as compared to those treated with an anti-TNF agent alone. Please read this article for a more in-depth analysis of the data and how this paper may alter your thinking regarding the risk of the development of psoriasis following the use of an anti-TNF agent. The image in rheumatology this month describes a 58-year-old man diagnosed with diffuse idiopathic scalenal hyperostosis, or DISH, who also had ossification of the posterior longitudinal ligament. He presented to hospital this time with a 38-year history of back pain and stiffness. Review of history and physical was suggestive of an inflammatory back pain with decreased spinal mobility. In addition, he had left shoulder tenderness. Investigation showed a mod mildly elevated CRP, and he was HLA-B27 negative. Investigations included a CT scan, which showed changes most consistent with DISH, but a 3D reconstruction of the CT scan showed bridging of the vertebral bodies and fusion of the facet joints, suggestive of syndesmophytes consistent with the diagnosis of axial spondyloarthritis. Patient was treated with a TNF inhibitor and his symptoms resolved. The CT and 3D CT scan reconstruction are shown in this paper. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only my highlighted articles, but all of the articles in the August 2022 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print edition or the online edition, which is available at www.jroom.org. I also hope you can watch my interview with the authors, not only of the highlighted paper today, but my previous interviews, if you have not already viewed them. Both paper and 
The interviews are available on the website, while the interviews are available on YouTube. If you have any questions or comments of the highlighted article or any of the articles in the August 2022 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. Please listen next month to the September edition of Editor's Highlights, and please stay healthy. Thank you.